Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 97 of the Showbound Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Raskin, here again with Ethan Cardwell. Cards, what's going on, man? Oh, not too much. Uh, it literally feels like we go over the same thing every single week, and uh, nothing's changing this week. So, yeah, I just got home from the golf course, had a nice sauna, uh, feeling great, looking forward to watching some playoff hockey tonight. You? Oh, yeah. Uh, I had a pretty busy week. I actually... Oh, I didn't tell you this. I had my last exam of my MBA degree on Saturday. So That's insane. Got that done. I haven't graduated yet, I but like basically Yeah, done. you're already done? That's Pretty much. I just how have... Many years, how many years of schooling is that? You're done six? Yeah, six years. Holy shit, dude. You're old. I know, man. It's crazy. Do you feel old? Do you feel old at all ever? Like, do you be like, oh my God. Like, I, I've only started feeling old in the last like month. I never felt old until now. Now I feel old. It just hit me. Yeah. Well, I, start, I, I go to bed early now. And then, you know why it hit me? Okay, so I, I, we go. Uh, I, write, I write this exam. I got a good buddy in the, uh, in the program as well. I was in his wedding party and stuff last year. Um, he's a little older than me. And, and we, like, have been battling through this NBA together. Like, he's my right-hand guy. Like, we work together as much as we can. So I, I came home to Toronto on the weekend where, where he lives. And I was like, we got to go for drinks. Like, we battled through this exam. It was, like, ridiculously hard. Um, yeah yeah for sure you earned it so we go out downtown and uh we're getting drinks and then suddenly like 10 30 rolls around i i start yawning and like we talk about me feeling old i'm like like dude <laughs> i'm like i'm battling at 10 30 and so we're, oh. we're sitting there i was like i was just talking about it with him because he was saying how he feels old because he just turned 30 this year and oh, okay, uh, get old though <laughs> that's legit old you're gonna alienate some of our list alienate some of our <laughs> listeners here but, yeah, um, I know. <laughs> but no, but so, <laughs> yeah, we're sitting there and I'm, I'm battling. I'm like, man, because I wake up early now. Like, I, I, so I go to bed early. My days are long. But then, you know, 1130 comes around another hour, a couple more drinks and you, you get over the hump and then you're good to go. But it was funny. So, yeah, I feel old to answer the question in a long way. <laughs> Bro, I'm only 20 years old. I'm starting to feel old. I wake up every morning, have a cup of coffee. Like, I couldn't even imagine that like three or four years ago. I have a cup of coffee and then I. I go to bed every night at like nine o'clock. I'm in bed. Like I'm shutting her down by nine 45, 10 o'clock. It's like, what am I doing? Like I used to, I used to be able to buzz until like one in the morning. If I even thought about that on a weeknight, I'd just like, Oh, it would be over. Well, you're a working man now. You're a, you're a professional yeah. athlete. You got a paycheck. So you gotta, you gotta be a worker. And yeah, uh, I guess you gotta put in the hour. <laughs> that's funny i i never thought i was gonna be a, a coffee guy like i i remember asking my parents when i was younger like how do you get into coffee and stuff like it's so gross like and then when i got into university and i was living with my my roommates and stuff like that like you roll out of bed and there's like a pot of coffee i already made and you're like oh like hot drinks right there chilling in the morning i mean obviously throw in some milk and sugar because we're not maniacs um but uh yeah so then i was now it's just like yeah i guess i'm a coffee person now but oh yeah on the coffee thing we've talked i mean we we've kind of talked about coffee stuff before how like i like it sweeter than most people but i'm all in on this uh coffee crisp creamer now um it's like it's just creamer but it's coffee crisp flavored and it it, it tastes like you're drinking a coffee crisp chocolate bar it's on yeah but it's also probably terrible for you yeah probably but it same thing with me dipping yeah, the Oreo exactly. in my coffee in the morning. It starts my day with a smile. You yeah, want to start yeah. on a positive note and feel good. You're more productive. 
you maybe you yeah, live nah. longer and it counters all the crap and put it in my body so I agree with you. I feel like that's important. Treat yourself here and there. Make yourself happier. I'd rather be happy than be eaten like strict diet and be miserable doing that. I mean, I don't know. I want to know a little bit actually about your golf game. And then we got some hockey stuff to touch on. But I want to hear because to preface this, Rask has been like, obviously, he's been hyping himself up about his golf game, how he's going to get way better and stuff. And He's been texting me all week, like, I got this new strategy. I can't wait to tell you about it on the pod. So here it is live in person for the first time. Yeah. So just another reminder to our listeners that we care about them so much that we withhold information from each other to save it for this podcast. So um, (laughs) we want the natural live reactions instead of like a fake retelling of the story. So, I mean, to kind of before I even talk about it, I want to ask you a question. At what point can you say that you're not a bad golfer? Like if someone asked me, like if someone asked you, how's your golf game? And you're like, oh, like not bad. Like when can you say that? See, so this is like the weird thing for me. Like for me, because I, I would like, I got like pretty decent at a young age. Yeah. And so like now my standards are a lot higher. But like the, if you look at the percentages in the world, dude, of like, like I'm not sure exactly what it is. But like, I, I think 10, like, I don't think, I think like 10% of people who play golf can break 90 or like a hundred or something. I, I think it's like most people never break a hundred, at least consistently. Yeah. Um, like, I think, I think if you can consistently break 90, you can say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a not, like, I'm not bad. Okay. That's like, a good, that's where, that's like yeah. me. Well, like, but like, meanwhile, if I shoot like an 81 or an 80 like I'm telling everybody that I'm the worst player in the world, but that's just because my standards are way too high and it's ridiculous. And I beat myself up over a sport that doesn't matter to me anymore. But uh, so you're at the stage where like you're, if you keep going on the trajectory are you soon, you can get to not bad. Yeah, there we go. Well, so, so yeah. So the last round I shot, it was only nine holes. I shot 44. So assume- which is on pace for a not bad golfer. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I was going to So. <laughs> It, it was a great round for me. And it, two pars, by the way. Um, yeah, that's legit. So I'll I'll take that. And then, uh, so the strategy. So it, there's like a couple layers to the strategy, but the basic sort of version is uh, it starts with me slowing down my swing. And I, I, I naturally hit the ball pretty far, which is weird despite my clubs. Um, I hit it like further than most people's yardages. But I think my swing speed's also harder, and that might be why I'm hitting a lot of bad shots. So I started sure. slowing down my swing speed like a lot. Like now it's like significantly slower than an average person. And I'm only focusing on just like make clean, good contact, hit it where you're supposed to, and let it go straight. And I'm losing yards on my ball, but I'm hitting good shots like in a row and I'm not screwing it up. And so part of that is there's you hit so many shots, like me basically a hundred shots per round, um, that I forget sometimes to like slow down. So I, I tell myself for every single shot, slow down, like be calm, like just make contact. Don't swing hard. I just keep telling myself that. And I'm, I'm doing better uh, just hitting the ball well. And then when I putt, which is even like definitely the worst part of my game. Now, instead of trying to get the ball in from anywhere on the green, like I'm when you putt, you're trying to get it in, right? Anything mm-hmm. outside of like five feet, I'm not making it. It's just the way I am. So anything outside of like, maybe like, maybe like five, six feet, I, you know, I'm trying, but after that, 
I've now I picture like a one foot radius around the the hole. Yeah. And I'm like I'm missing within this one foot. Get the ball within this one foot imaginary circle around the hole. I need to get it into this circle. It's a gimme. Yeah, and then it's a full tap and gimme whatever. So I'm I'm only focusing on getting it within that one foot radius, and it makes my it's made my putting a lot better because you have a big target to aim at instead of a little hole, right? Um, yeah. The the thing yeah. about golf is like the more you can dumb it down and make it simpler because everyone just makes it to be out like this complex game. In reality, like if you can just dumb it down, make it really simple, you'll have so much more success. And that's the difference. Like uh, the difference between shooting in the night or in the eighties and then in the nineties and hundreds is the double bogeys and the triple bogeys. Yeah. And that's what happens from swinging too hard, bad contact, missing putts, three putting, four putting, even like those are the simple things. So like, I actually, like, I, I think like you can make pots inside 10 feet. Like, I, I don't think you should be missed like laying up, but that's a good place to start. Like, I think two putting every single green is going to be a good place to get you where you need to go. And then the, the thing about like, actually, and the, the one thing, like every tour player, man, like they have swing thoughts. So like when you say to yourself before every swing that you're like, okay, slow down, like every single tour player has a thought that they're thinking in their head right before they swing. And they say it every single shot, no matter what it goes through their head. It's like a trigger for them. And they're like, boom, okay, I'm ready now. And then it's like go time. So I don't know if you reinvented the wheel, but you figured it out on your own. And that's actually pretty impressive. That's a good job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm getting better. Like it was a lot of two putts on the last one. And, and I don't get a lot of two, like I'm, I was three putting everything unless it was like close. And then, yeah, two putt would be good for me. But now it's like anything over two putts, unacceptable. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, that's, uh, yeah, I'm going to go out in a couple, couple of days, maybe twice this week. Uh, I'm trying to go twice a week and I, I hit the range once a week. So we're working yeah, on good. Um, I also have an, I got a new driver and a new putter. So that's probably helping too. Yeah. That might help. I th- my, my driver was broken. So. That yeah well your clubs aren't (laughs) (laughs) are much to talk about yeah anyway okay so before we get into some hockey stuff uh i want to drop our guest this week uh it's tj manisterski he's our head coach at brock university where where i work and uh he coached last year before this season for union college in d1 and what's cool about this interview it's not just like a coach interview talking about how he's coaching hockey or whatever. We talk way more about how you like manage your players, how he has a unique style of communicating with them. And he goes exactly into how he does it. And I've never heard of any other coach do it. And he tells, he explains it. So I don't want to give it away. You'll hear it in the interview. Um, So he teaches like communication and there was a lot of cool stuff that players and coaches, definitely coaches, but players will gain a lot of value too, because we talk about like, certain things like how you advance in the lineup from a coach's perspective. Like it was a lot more, it wasn't like X's and O's. And so it was like, we're getting into like the mind of like how coaches see this. And um, yeah, it was was cool. So I was just going to say for all the players that are listening and stuff. And like, for even like parents who like tell their kids about like how to get better and like how to move up the lineup and do all these things. Like that's the biggest thing. The, the more that you can be on the coach's good side and please the coach and like provide what he needs for his team to have success um the better so like the more you can kind of take away from this interview and kind of learn from what he says about how a coach views things and stuff can go a long way yeah 100 percent. and even uh i mean 
I want to, I, I, we're delaying into the hockey stuff, but I want to bring up one more topic before we get into hockey stuff. And it's, it's basketball, man. I want to talk a bit about this NBA conference. Celtics. Yeah. So for, uh, for reference, it's Monday night as we're recording right now. And the game game seven isn't, isn't over yet. So it hasn't even started yet. It's about to start. So little background, I guess, for those who don't know, Celtics versus heat. Uh, in the conference final, the Heat blew a three nothing lead, which is like pretty crazy. Well, it's three three now. They haven't blown it fully, um, but that doesn't really happen in the NBA. The stat is that team NBA teams are 150 and 0 when leading three nothing in a series. So they've never won't full blown a three nothing series lead yet. And what I wanted to talk about was that there's Actually, all this. Too, can I, sorry, can I? Yeah, jump in. Yeah. Back to- Miami's an eight seed too. Like we're not talking about a team like who was like unreal and they're just having like a collapse for these last few. Like they upset uh, Milwaukee in the first round, then they beat the Knicks, and now they're here against the Celtics, who are the second best team in the East all year long, arguably one of the best. And they go up three nothing. Everyone's astonished. Wow, Miami's going to the finals, and then boom, Celtics three straight huge block by Derek White to end the last game. Um, yeah, it's mind-boggling to to say the yeah. least. And, and the, we got yeah, a similar situation going on in the NHL, but we're gonna get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. But so what I wanted to say was that that earlier today it it came out the refing crew came out for this game. Have you seen any of this stuff online, cards? No, I haven't seen any of this. So there's always every year there's always controversy, like people saying, "Oh, the NBA's rigged. The NBA's rigged." And like there's the NBA doesn't help themselves i don't need to comment on it but they're not helping themselves with this one today so the crew of refs have that's refing the game tonight they're 12 and 0 refing celtics games and 0 and 10 for the heat so the heat are 0 and 10 with this crew and the celtics are 12 and 0 <laughs> so i wonder who's gonna win this one hey but also you got to remember the celtics are also trying to be one the first team in fifth or 150 who are trying to do something, whereas the Heat are one hundred and fifty to zero. So yeah. you got two sides of the story going on there. That would I actually just think be it's, wild. it's crazy. Like because they always there's every year there's something about the refs in oh, the NBA. Yeah. You always hear, and now they they do something like this. Like you gotta just not put them. I don't know, man. The like, don't put yourself in this position to be looked at this way. Yeah, but people are gonna find something regardless of what yeah, you do. This I one's feel. Big, this one's right in your face. Like not even yeah, one. No. <laughs> okay well with that being said what's your prediction for tonight uh I, i'm on boston for just because i want to see the the 150 and 0 streak get broken i think anytime like you could see a comeback from down 3-0 in the playoffs like it's kind of cool so i'm going on boston and uh you know it's gonna come down to the wire so it's gonna be one of those ones and yeah what do you think yeah like boston's like an eight point favorite too like i feel like they're uh i, I feel like it's not gonna be that big of a score like blowout like in a I think it's going OT or a buzzer beater like it's coming down to the wire yeah I think it's going to be a close one I think it's going to be a great game regardless like I'd like to see the heat win personally just because they are the eight seed so like there's actually a lot of drama here like I mean like they're they could be an eight seed going to the finals here like similar to what Florida's doing it's been a crazy playoff in all sports so um but I'm gonna I'm gonna say I want the heat but I think the Celtics are gonna win but okay, we'll, wow. we'll see later. Time will tell. But let's uh, let's jump over to the Western Conference in hockey. Um, yep. And again, Vegas goes up three nothing. Uh, Dallas steals game four 
at home, and then they steal game five on the road. Now they're going back home for game six tonight. Um, where where are you at? They got Jamie Ben back in the lineup. What do you think goes on tonight? I think Dallas gets the reverse sweep done. Do you? I think I think Dallas wins this thing in seven. And uh, yeah, so obviously with that, I think Dallas wins it tonight. And uh, yeah, it goes to goes seven. Vegas is going to crumble, and I'm I'm all in on the the, the reverse sweep train. I'm I want the story. Yeah, you, you fully you fully committed to the storylines. Yeah, I want I want the drama of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, and we have a couple showbound alum on Dallas to root for. We got we got Ty Delandria. We got Who just Wyatt. came up absolutely clutch. Yeah, let's say two, two, two goals in a do or die game to keep their season alive. Not a big yeah. deal. And then we got Wyatt Johnson, who was like a superhero all playoffs. Yeah, he's been unreal. Um, so. and uh, yeah, so I mean. Now on Vegas, we we have had Logan Thompson, but he hasn't been he hasn't played and he won't um, with injury. Yeah. So, well, and I I've been hearing Coach Chippy's been saying that it's because they don't have Phil in the lineup. I don't know if you've seen his uh, his videos. He's yeah, saying he loves it. Phil, man. He loves a good Phil video. Well, we got to get that guy back on because he keeps going, getting bigger and bigger Dude, right he's now. Dude. Rocketing like yeah, he, he had a showbound bump. Now in his credit, he w- had the bump without us as well, but. He also rocketed like right after us too. So yeah, little showbound bomb. We can yeah, we can claim a little credit. Yeah, we'll take a little bit. I mean, <laughs> look what happened to Delandria too. I mean, he came on two goals playoffs, right? Like good yeah. things. I heard. But, I heard uh, Dallas said why Johnson wasn't going to make the team until our interview. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, he got twenty four tucks this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else is there? I mean, team. Well, Canada we got the Mem Cup of- too. Yeah, so I'm going to bring up Team Canada winning the World Championship. Mm. Like, yeah, a tournament that absolutely blows my mind. A Team Canada that loses to Norway during the prelims, and I think they lost to, like, Switzerland or something. And then to go to the finals, although, like, Germany was in the finals, which was crazy to to me. And then you got Latvia winning. Was it Latvia? Yeah, Latvia Latvia winning won gold. bronze over U.S., who also yeah, lost to Germany bronze. as well. Yeah. It was, that tournament is wild. Like obviously, these teams are missing a lot of their top guys, and a lot of these countries, like Latvia and like Germany, I think a lot of their top players do like to go because if it. Germany it means, got dry side all, dude. Game changer. They would have won. They would have. They, they probably would have won. They, they it would have been a real game changer for sure. Actually, you know who I'm thinking we should get on the pod is Michael Carconi from uh, Yeah. Yeah, because I, I know Karks pretty well, like from skating and he's from our area and he just won gold there. So maybe we could get yeah. him on in the next couple of uh couple of weeks here and catch up on the gold there. Yeah. And and I wanna get uh JJ Paterka who was on that Germany team who I, I know you have a bit of a relationship with him, right? Yeah, we could t- hopefully talk with him and get him on potentially. That would be good. Um but yeah, yeah there's a there's a couple of wild sure. tournament. Yeah, it was crazy and um yeah. Obviously, like but it, I was excited for Canada. I actually watched the the final game. I didn't really watch much of the tournament before that, but um, I had the the gold medal game on, which was cool. And well, it's hard to keep up with during the like it was like middle of the day and stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but did you see on. the the parade in Latvia today? Yeah, well, dude, that's a bit, that's a really big deal, and that that's why I think it's super cool for these countries to like be able to have a real good like chance at, in these tournaments. And then, obviously, got to give a bunch of credit to my former goalie Archer Silovs, who had a one heck of a tournament and uh, actually won uh, Player of the Tournament, which is 
unreal and kind of hopefully that's his ticket to a long-term career in the NHL now. Yeah, good for him, man. And he's, you know, he's feeling like a legit, I mean, he is a legit celebrity walking around Latvia right now. Oh, yeah. With, and it was, today was, a, they made it a national holiday in Latvia. So they could all what? go to the parade. Yeah, yeah. Imagine like oh, winning man. something and then your whole country gets the day off. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, and then, and then be, be the reason they got to that point was because of sea loss. Like, that guy is legit God in Latvia right now. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. And, um, anyway, I mean, well, we can touch on the Mem Cup before we get into uh, before we send it to the interview. And I, I mean, like, what a weird tournament so far in terms of like lopsided scores. Um, the first game, I think Kamloops a little bit rusty. Yeah, uh, long, they lost eight like three to go back. Long, long time without playing a game. A uh, lot, a bunch of nerves being the host team. So that's what I'm going to chalk that game up to. I'm going to say Seattle. We said that they were a wagon, so that yeah. that's just them playing their game, beating Peterborough 6-3. And the big question mark for me and, like, big, like, what is going on is the 10-2 shellacking that Kamloops just put on Peterborough yesterday. Yeah. I, I, like, what? Yeah, I, I mean, I, when you get to – I mean, there's no doubt we said it. Like, Kamloops is still a really good team. Yeah, they're the host, but, like, they made it to the conference final. They went – they're good. But, I mean, this is the OHL champion. Like, they're they're – They've been playing every other night, like in the rhythm for the last two months, and um, yeah, and but also you got to remember too that um, that can that can weigh on you. Like, well, it's and a they, grind. It's a it's Cam a Loops is more grind. rested, yeah, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't even close. Like, no, it wasn't. They, I, I think at one point in the game there was more goals for Cam Loops than they had shots on net. Uh, that it's really weird, and I, I didn't get to watch it. I wonder what happened, but. Yeah, and then I guess we'll see how it goes as the as the week progresses on. But Peterborough is not looking in great shape. They're not no, eliminated. They're not out of it officially, but it's technically no. But I, yeah, it's not, yeah, I don't think it's looking too pretty there. But yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how the cards play out, and, and then we'll uh, maybe yeah. That, that's what we'll do too. We'll try. We got to get uh, another guest from one of the teams who's in the Mem Cup. Hopefully, like one of the winning teams we could get a guy from and kind of yeah. catch up on that. We'll get Karks on hopefully and talk about the, the gold there. So we got some exciting stuff coming up, but uh, I think we're good to send it over to the interview now. Yeah. Now we'll send it over to TJ Manisterski. All right. We're pleased to be joined now in person by TJ Manisterski, the head coach of Brock university where everyone knows I also work and talk about it every episode. So TJ, how's it going? I'm pumped. I feel like I've made it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty good to finally do this one. We're at the end of our season now. Um, I guess, do you want to just talk about like how, how the season went for your first season coaching U Sports? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot's happened. It's, uh, it's still reflecting on it, honestly. I guess the things that stand out to me is just how good the hockey is. You know, just last season, I was coaching a Division One team in the United States, and Coming to U Sports, I knew it was a high level, uh, but it wasn't until I stepped on the ice with our guys that I realized just how deep the level of talent is, uh, how smart the players are, and how quickly they pick things up. That was the, probably the first thing that that I noticed was just, you know, you'd make an adjustment or you'd give them a new drill uh, or provide a system, and it's like, okay, they got it right away. Uh, and that was really nice and, and really refreshing. Yeah, there's a lot of smart players in the league coming from major junior, a lot of them, and then from, you know, the highest levels of junior A and junior B, wherever they're coming from. But guys who have 
been doing video for five years, been watching their own games for five years in junior coming from wherever they came from. So um, how do you find the, I guess, hockey IQ type for the players in at this level? Yeah, I think it's really high. I think it's an older, it's an older level, right? Like then NCAA, for example, that I have the most experience in, I was there for 15 years. Uh, that's a younger league, especially at the division one level. You have guys coming in. That's true. First year players at 18 years old. Uh, so, so they're younger. They're coming from tier two or, or even prep school or U18 in some cases. Uh, the guys coming to U sports are older. There's an extra year of eligibility too. So five years they can play. And then with COVID, of course, uh, <laughs> you know, we know we have a guy who turned 27 years old and likely to play next year. So it's a much older league. And to your point, when, when you're talking about like the major junior players in particular have been in an environment since 16 years old, with very high level coaching, uh, they've basically been in a hockey factory for four or five years. And they've been exposed to great coaches and a lot of different concepts. And uh, so there isn't much they haven't seen. And it allows them to kind of pick up on things. And then, of course, the other players that come from Tier 2 or Junior B, they're, they're the very top players at that level. So, so they're smart players in their own right. And when you put all those guys together, uh, they're, they're moving at a, at a high speed as far as what they're picking up and, and how they're adjusting. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask, for the listeners, it's kind of a different interview for those who don't know. Obviously, I being with TJ day to day, I know a lot about him already. But to shed light for the people who don't, how did you get into coaching? Well, that's I'm kind of come full circle because my my intro to coaching was in the U sports level because my dad coached at York University when I was a young guy running around the dressing room, putting on my equipment, trying to jump on the ice before practice just to skate with those guys. And I grew up listening to the coaches, listening to uh, in between periods and those kinds of things. And at the time, I just loved it. And it wasn't until later on in my life that I realized that's where the coaching bug really struck me. And, and that's where I where I, I found the passion for for coaching. So your father, Tim, we got to work with him this year and I specifically got to spend a lot of time with him um, being up in wherever the equivalent of the press boxes are and these road rings or whatever, but, but we spent a lot of time together. So um, Tim has a, an eye for the game. Like, I guess I would call it an experienced eye. Like he sees things because he's been in the game for so long. Um, so it's been cool for me to learn from Tim and obviously from you this year, but I got to spend a lot of time with TJ's father this year as well. So that was cool. Uh, now, one of the things, one of the many things I wanted to get into in this episode um I think TJ is a unique coach because you you come from a teaching background. Is that right? Yeah, I did my master's in education. Yeah, so I noticed with you, there's a lot of teaching with the players. And a lot of it is uh, this year with you coming in. We have a new rink this year on campus. Like there's a lot of change. So culture is important to you. Can you talk about building culture, what it means to you, like what it means to the team and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think there's, for me, it's just really about how we operate and what's what's it feel like on a daily basis to come come to work here for us, come to play here for the for the for the players. Uh, but what's what's that experience like? What are what are the things that we that we do here? What are the things that we don't do? You know, uh, how do we do them? And then like, what's that experience that we give to one another on a daily basis? And uh, that's really what your culture is. It's it's not fancy slogans on the wall and, and those sorts of things. And um, 
but but it comes down to those daily behaviors and and shaping those in a direction that that you think is going to produce the outcomes that you want. Yeah, and we've noticed the the change in the beginning of it this year. And another thing I wanted to talk about, which I think is really cool, and for the people listening, the players, the coaches, whoever it is, uh, you're the best communicator coach I've ever seen. And I want to talk about some of the things you do to communicate with players. So first of all, I guess let's start with the importance of communication to you. So how important is it for you to communicate with the players, the team, and and how often you're communicating with them and all that? Well, I think it's the the number one job. When you think about how many players you have, plus our staff, keeping everybody on the same page and keeping everybody uh, feeling like they have a voice and a part of things, that's that's a really big a big task. When you think you know you're talking thirty plus people on a daily basis that the head coach has to be communicating with, so so it's huge. It it really makes things go. The importance of it is so critical for the players. They crave it. They crave it. Right few years ago, I guess more than a few now, uh, I went into a hockey season when I was at Curry College and I wanted to be a better communicator. So I created this plan on how I was going to do that. And I gave them a survey at Christmas time and it had a lot of questions. But one of the questions early in the survey was, what is something the coaching staff is doing really well that you want them to continue? And the overwhelming response from the players was communication. So I started, you know, kind of patting myself on the back. thinking, This is great. I wanted to be a better communicator. It's working. Terrific. And then later in the survey, there was another question I asked them, which was, what's something you want the coach and staff to do more of? And the overwhelming response was communication. So it was like a light bulb moment for me that, hey, we're doing a great job of this, but they want even more. So, so that became a real emphasis for me moving forward, that that has to be a priority in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you do that is, I'm giving away your secrets here, but <laughs> hot topic meetings. Yeah. Can you talk about what hot topic meetings are and, and how they help? Sure. Well, hot topic meetings are great. Uh, we like to do them on Tuesdays if we can, because the alliteration sounds good for hot topic Tuesday. Uh, but really, it's just it's a two minute meeting. It's a quick meeting. It's 30 seconds. The player has to voice the hottest topic on their mind to me. And then I get an opportunity to respond. And then I give them my hot topic for them. And it's a way that you can scale communication because now I can connect with every single player in one day. And we do it very efficiently this way. And, and what happens when you do it somewhat regularly is that you prevent the big blow-ups or the big misunderstandings or, 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 or major sit-down meetings because you're getting ahead of any issues. You know, it could be, you know, you hear a lot of things uh, about, about your players in these meetings. It's usually about hockey, but not always. You know, you find out about what's going on in their, their personal life sometimes and or struggles or, or really great things too, you find out. But, uh, you know, I guess a good example would be like sometime, like we had one this year where a player didn't understand why he got benched. And I said, well, what do you mean? You never got benched. It's like, yeah, well, will you skip me? And this was like two weeks later or two weeks before. So then I thought back to the situation it was, and this is like a first line player. And, and I said, no, you didn't get benched. It just, our third line happened to be really playing well at the, at the moment. And I wanted to get them an extra shift, but it happened to be his shift that got sacrificed. So he thought he was benched, although it had nothing to do with him, but had everything to do with another line that was playing really, really well. And I wanted to get them extra ice time. So once I explained that, you could see the weight in the shoulders just drop. And, and he was like, oh, okay, he understood. 
And he'd been carrying that for with him for about a week or two. And now, now that was off his mind. He understood. So, you know, if you don't have that talk, he, who knows, he could carry that for six weeks, eight weeks. And, uh, you know, and then it shows up, you know, in a bad way at some point. Yeah, that's, that's really well explained. And uh, on the topic of communication, there's different, all sorts of different ages, personalities and stuff at, at this level, at any level, really. So how do you manage the difference in personalities and, and the way like some some guys like getting coached or talked to one way, some want to be treated this way. How do you manage all of those different things in the same room? Well, I think the first place you start is by assuming positive intent. Like if it's easy to rush to judgment, especially if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't think the same way as you, or maybe comes from a different place than you come from. And uh, that that is the basis for a lot of misunderstandings, I think. And if you approach your interactions with an open mind and trying to learn what people uh, are thinking, as opposed to rushing to some judgment, that really helps. You know, so that would be the first thing. Just always assume positive intent. Typically, people are not trying to do things uh, that are that are disruptive. So, so you take the time to learn them and, and ask questions. So it's better to be curious than, than judgmental at first. Mm -hmm. And here's a cool one I, I wanted to bring up as well. So leadership, and this is where the background of teaching comes in. Many teams, basically every team, and with a couple exceptions, probably the coach will slap a C on a guy. Now you're the captain, you're the leader of the team. There you go. But for you, it's not just giving a guy a C or an A or whatever. You're, you want to teach them how to be leaders. And when you get to C, then it's a learning process for them. How do you lead? So can you talk about um how you view leadership on the team and, you know, how you teach guys to be leaders? Well, I think you have to be developing your leadership and it starts long before a player becomes the captain. And I think when you're doing it that way, you end up with a team full of leaders. Now, certainly you have to make a choice at some point. Who's going to wear the C, who's going to wear the A's and, and what does that look like? Uh, but over time, if you're developing your leadership, uh, it becomes almost seamless. Like everybody kind of knows where the direction of those, those captain roles will be, but everybody has a hand in, in operating like a leader. And ultimately it becomes about understanding leadership is about everybody else. It's leadership is, is simultaneously all about you as the leader and nothing about you at, at the same time. So what I mean by that is we're going to go as our leaders go. So it's all about them in that respect, but they have to operate like it's not like, like they're nothing that everybody else is more important than them. And they put the needs of others first. Okay. And here's another unique one. We're getting into a trend of unique things that I've learned from you and seen. So in practices, we'll talk practice here. And I remember the first meeting of the year, I was like, what the hell? Uh, you don't go to the board in practice. You have a practice or I'll let you explain it. You know, I'll just leave it at that. And you, you talk about practices to you and how you run them. Well, I okay. I guess it goes back to my personality. Like I like to be efficient. I don't like to waste time, and I want to go. So when we go on the ice, we just want to go, and we don't want to stop. Like I think we went to the board maybe three or four times in the entire year this year. Mm -hmm. uh, but you have to you have to prepare for that. You can't just go and do that. Uh, you know, draw up a practice plan and that they drills they've never seen before, and 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 expect that they're going to know it. So. What we do is uh, we will 
uh, create the practice plan and share it in advance. And we use the platform ice hockey systems, as you know, and it has the drill diagram, the description and, and a video. And what's been great is over the year, we've been able to replace our videos uh, with current Brock videos of our, of our drills. And that allows our players to have a heads up uh, as to what the practice plan is, what those key objectives are for the day. And uh, once you once you get through the first part of a season or you, the players really get to know you as a coach, there's certainly you have staple drills, right, that you, you keep coming back to. So they get to know what those are. And then you try to sprinkle in some new ones here and there for variety's sake. But as they know what those staple drills are and then they see the practice plan, then it becomes easy for them to just know, okay, here's the drills. I know what they are. And then we use our pre-practice meeting to set the stage. So we are now reminding them what the objective of the day is usually one or two things we're trying to accomplish. Like, so back to the education background, these would be called learning outcomes. So when you do a lesson plan, there's usually a learning outcome. So at the end of this lesson, a student should be able to do this, should be able to understand that. Well, it's the same thing in hockey. At the end of this practice, we want our players to be able to execute this system or perform this skill, right? So we pick one or two things for the day. And, and we highlight that before practice. We make sure they, they understand the drills. Uh, we, we may review them, but we may ask players to draw them and explain them to engage the group. Uh, so there's different strategies you, you can use there. But what, what really makes it effective is once they know the drill, you can use your time before practice not to describe the drill, but to talk about what's important inside of that drill to really hammer home what those learning outcomes are. And then you can, you know, you can tweak a, any drill lots of different ways. So depending on what you're emphasizing that day, you can talk about, okay, instead of doing it this way, we're going to do a little bit different. We'll do it this way. And, um, and then you go. Yeah. So on the topic of practices, we get a lot of, like most of our listeners are players or, or hockey fans, not coaches. Um, but shout out to all the coaches who listen. Yes. And uh, we get fan questions sent in from players or, or whoever's listening. And some of them are like, I've been scratched eight games in a row or whatever it is. Like, how do I get myself in the lineup? How do I approach my coach? So coming from a coach, because a lot I've said this to you before, like sometimes players just don't know how to talk to a coach. They don't know how to handle it. So to the player who's not in the lineup or who's going through the adversity as a coach, like what do you want to see from them and how do they get back in the lineup? Well, I think again, just understanding where they're coming from is the first thing the coach has to keep in mind. The higher you get in hockey, usually when a player gets scratched, it, like, it might be the first time that's ever happened to them. Right? So, so that's a big moment. So I think always remembering how big of a deal that is for the player. For us, it's just a decision. Right? We make that decision weekly, daily. And uh, it's easy to forget you know, how impactful it can be for a, a human being who puts a lot of their self-worth in playing the game to, to not have the opportunity to put on their uniform on game day, right? So so that's a big deal. Um, what I'm looking for out of the player is, again, I guess it goes back to communication. I think there's a responsibility that I have to communicate to a player the reasons why. If It can be a little bit redundant at times, so I I think early in the year, it's it's more important to touch the players that aren't going in the lineup or the first time they've been scratched. 
after that, there should be a shared understanding. And if you're working together daily, there should be a shared understanding of, of, of what's going well and what should improve. And they, they should have an idea, right? But uh, we want them to be team first, right? It, it's okay to be upset. It's natural to not agree with the decision. You don't, I don't need you to agree. I don't need you to, to be happy. In fact, I don't want you to be. I want you to have a fire inside that, that you want to prove that decision wrong and, and to get better. Uh, it's about but behaving in a certain way back to the culture piece like so and our team when you're scratched what is how do you operate right what are the expectations on our team when you're not in a lineup what how do you what do you think is the best thing for your teammates to see what's the best thing for your coach to see and then have been uh willing to have that that two-way communication with your coach to truly understand where you're at what has to change what the situation is uh to, to get you back in that lineup. Yeah, very well said. And then moving forward, so every coach has a different way of handling games, the results, winning and losing games. So how do you handle winning a game? And then after, we'll talk about how do you handle losing a game and where do you go from there? Well, at the end of a game, what I really want to know is I, I want to get an understanding of, um, okay, what really happened here beyond the result like we know you won or you lost right okay but if we won why did we win what happened in that game that that allowed us to win and should we have won right sometimes you win games that you, you shouldn't have won and uh same thing's true of a loss so sometimes you, you, if you lost why did you lose should you have lost did you deserve to win did you get unlucky like let's be honest there's a lot of luck and chance involved in a hockey game and and it doesn't always go the way uh, the way that you want it to go or the way it's, you think it should go. But if you play the right way, you play the way you want to play, over time, you're going to win more than than you lose. So I think just be trying to be objective, trying to remove emotion uh, from winning and losing and just be really rational about what happened, how do we continue to drive this group forward to to play better next time. Yeah, and then, so in my notes here, I have this down as just philosophical stuff. With no specific question, but just is there any philosophical stuff, I guess, that you want to talk about, like the way you approach coaching, how you how you look at it? Um, and I don't know if you have an answer for this, but anything that you believe in when coaching and teaching players that we haven't really touched on? I think the head coach's job is to create an environment. Right? We're creating a place, this environment that is shaping the outcomes we want. The outcomes that I want, my personal goal would be to expedite individual development. So can we help our players get better as fast as possible and do it from a holistic perspective? So it's not just on ice skills, right? We're looking at physical capabilities, mental capabilities, character. In our case, academics are part of that. We're helping them become better people and players. So how can we help them develop as fast as possible, but also in a way that we're maximizing team performance? Because at the end of the day, uh, we're all here to try to win as many hockey games as, as we can. Uh, so, so everything that I do is about trying to, to expedite development and maximize our team. Okay. And now here's what I wanted to share. So going back to your playing career, I've heard this story and uh -oh. I, I want to, well, you, you know, it's nothing, nothing bad, but when you were playing in the SPHL, the story of the guy who left practice early, <laughs> can you share this story with the listeners? Well, the coach was John, legendary John Brophy. 
he coached the Leafs in the 80s. I think he was, <laughs> I don't know, he must have been 70, 75 years old at this time. The The team was the Richmond Renegades, and they, they hired Brof as kind of a publicity stunt. And um, anyway, uh, the player was, I'll just say his name was Dean Jackson. Uh, he's a women's hockey coach in the United States right now, and great guy, great player. And he left practice early. And then, uh, so Brof, I don't know, for a little while, realized he wasn't there. So he's like, well, where is he? Where is he? So we go back into the room and, you know, Dino's in the shower and Brof comes in and he's like, where's, he must have retired. If he left early, he must have retired. He doesn't need this. So he grabs his shoulder pads and fires them against the wall. But he's retired. He doesn't need this. Grabs his skate, launches it. Guys are, are kind of ducking out of the way. It's off the wall into the garbage can. He just starts yard sailing all of Dean's equipment all over the place. And then Jackson, like, I think if you, if anybody who knows him, uh, knows he's got this, this kind of, uh, he's got a beautiful shitty grin. Sorry for swearing on your podcast. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, see, he comes out of the shower, he's in his towel and he's, and he's just watching bro throw his equipment all over the place. And he's got that grin on his face. And, uh, yeah, like, I didn't spend a long time in Richmond, but that was definitely a, a memorable moment for me. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Like, oh, he's gone. He's retired. Boom. Like, yeah. I love that story. Well, and Brof, he's the guy that uh, they based the character of Reg Dunlop in Slapshot yeah. uh, around John Brophy. So he he was uh, he was a character. Yeah, he must have been. So here's a, a good one. We'll get into some advice. Um, it's no secret, like, a lot of people who play hockey want to be coaches after, but there's only a certain number of positions. It's hard to make it as a career coach. So what advice do you have for people who are looking to get into coaching and, and maybe can't, or they just want to in the future? Like, what would you say to them? Yeah, it's, it's a tough racket as far as trying to make a living at it, you know, at a professional level. What, what I, I guess I can speak to what I did back kind of nice segue from Richmond. Like I, I had that experience in Richmond. I, I, I spent more time on waivers than I did playing hockey games that year. But, uh, you know, I, I'd spent a couple stints there and, um, you know, I was at a crossroads. Like, do I, do I keep trying to grind this out and, and play a few more years or, or not? And I think I was like 23 or 24 years old at the time. I knew I wanted to go to grad school and, and do my education, do my master's in education. And I, I recognize that uh, if I if I dive into coaching now, at that age, I, I have an advantage. Like maybe by the time I'm 30, I can have an actual coaching job that's supporting me and and hopefully a family at that time and, and stuff like that. And I think I learned that from my dad too. So he got into coaching later uh, through my hockey growing up, and then got into to coaching at York. Uh, you know, in his his mid to, to late thirties, I, I guess it was. So, um, you know, I saw I saw that I saw the the challenges, and I knew that okay, if I get into this early, I, I have a chance. And, and for me, it worked out really well. Um, but then again, like I was somebody who always knew I wanted to coach. A lot of players don't necessarily know that till they're done playing. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like they just, they, I think a lot of guys are just like, well, I'm done playing now. I want to stay in the game. Let's let's try this coaching thing on. And, uh, and they realize just, you know, for, for a lot of guys, anyways, they really, they get catch the passion for it, but uh, you've got to be willing to sacrifice. And that's why I just, I knew early to do it because I, I knew I'd have to sacrifice, make next to no money, chase down this dream. And I knew the earlier I started that, the better I could justify that, 
at 24, 25, 26 years old. Uh, I didn't know if I could justify that at 33, 34, 35 years old, right? So uh, that that was it for me. Uh, but coaching's like anything else. It's it's networking. It's uh, learning. It's putting yourself out there. It's putting in a lot of hours. I say this to people like I, I put in a ton of hours, um, but I still haven't. I've never worked for a living either. You know, it's it's the yeah. best. It's the best thing. Uh, you know, to to be able to say that. Yeah, hundred percent. And even like these years at Brock for me have been. Yeah, it doesn't feel like work for one second. You just walk into the rink, just get fired up, see the boys, <laughs> like got games, go on the road. Like it's so. It's been a really fun year, and uh, just a couple more things before we wrap up, but. For you, you can pump your yourself personally here, but do you want to talk about the coaching project, what that is, and then for those who are interested, where they can go to find it, all that? Yeah, I mean, sure, the coaching project, that's something I hope to to kind of revive a bit here this offseason, but I have my own podcast uh, and a newsletter. It's monthly that people subscribe to. It's mostly coaches, and it's cool to see those numbers increase month over month and and really, it's just a way for me to to give back to the coaching community, share insights on 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 how and help them do what I want to do, which is to expedite player development and, and maximize team performance, and to give uh, sources of inspiration to coaches to, to help them find their own way. Uh, the big thing I'd like to pump is our uh, Brock Badgers High Performance Hockey Seminar coming on June third, yeah. <laughs> uh, which we've got some uh, awesome speakers from the NCAA, from the OHL. U Sports and Pro here at Brock University, and that's uh, definitely consistent with the work I'm doing at the Coaching Project. Uh, so, um, all really exciting stuff. So, where can someone sign up to receive like the email newsletter for the Coaching Project? Yeah, so I guess the, the tjmanisterski.com would be my my personal website. There's a link on there. You can you can find it. I've actually just had to switch over my platform because I was using one platform, but they changed the terms. So now I have to start paying. Uh, so, and I want to keep it free. I don't want to charge for it. So uh, I switch, I'm switching platforms, but it's all there on, on my personal website. Okay. There you go. And yeah, that's, that's all I got for you here, but I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been fun and always nice to do an in-person interview as well. So that's cool. We do a lot of them on Zoom mostly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks, TJ, for taking the time. Ross, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Like I said, I, I feel like I finally made it. Maybe I can still be showbound. This is great. There we go. <laughs> okay, I want to thank TJ for that interview. Always cool to do another in-person interview, and uh, it was really fun and, and just interesting to hear him speak like that and learn those things. So thanks to TJ, and uh, we're going to get Cardsy back in the mix on the interviews I believe started next week. So something to look forward to. Uh, so cards, are you excited to be back in full swing? Yeah, man. I feel so felt so left out for the past month, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm glad we've been still be able to produce these bangers and you put in a lot of hard work to get these done and, and uh, get them out there. So I'm real excited to get back in the mix. We potentially have something real cool in the works um, for next week. So hopefully that that can come to fruition but uh we, we're not going to say anything yet um we'll just let it be and if it happens great if it doesn't whatever we'll make we'll make something cool work anyway but uh yeah we're, we're closing in on 100 here i think what do we got three episodes left till 100 yeah this is 97 so we're getting we're getting close man it's 
it's crazy you know whatever there's a there is a stat on it for like a number of podcasts that make it past like six episodes it's like really low Mm -hmm. Um, like a lot of people start podcasts not a lot make it and i wonder what the number is that make it to 100 so um pretty cool i'm just i mean we got to thank the listeners because we're nothing without them and we wouldn't we wouldn't be doing it without them so yeah well um, if we were only getting 12 listens a week i don't think it'd be worth doing it i mean no it's a lot of work they yeah they kind of give us the motivation to keep it like keep it going and obviously we have a ton of fun doing it but like without all their feedback and like their views every single week and stuff like that it's uh it definitely makes it all worth it and we got to make sure we got something special for a hundred whether it be we have to take a week off to make sure we got something real good or whatever whatever it is uh we'll address that within the next few weeks but um i don't know what what else do we have here at the back end i guess just one final question i have for you and we can wrap it up but you got the facial hair going and i think it looks good historically this is the longest you let it go so what's the what's the plan are you keeping it you cutting it or uh you know so i'm going on vacation next week um so i'll probably give it a fresh trim before before i go there because i don't want to like have it like cover up like a sunburn or whatever get some color on my face and then all of a sudden i get it off and it's just a white strip underneath so (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a nice fresh shave here within the next few days but uh gotta keep her clean it gets a little bit too hot too in the summer when you got the beard going and stuff but uh but yeah no we'll uh we'll touch it up use some manscaped and uh clean clean stuff up for sure but uh i think with that being said uh, i'm gonna go joy enjoy some playoff hockey i know you're gonna be watching yourself and it's actually i was talking with my trainer in the gym today it's it's like the it's it's like the worst time of year for sports right now as it dwindles down like march is like the best you have march madness you have nba and nhl going into their playoffs you have the masters just around the corner even MLB uh, starts. At yeah, you have MLB spring training starting up. Like, there's just so much going on then. And then, like, we're about two or three weeks away from just nothing. Like, only MLB. And, like, I'm not a huge baseball guy. So, like, it's not great for me. But, like, it's it, it, it becomes, like, the worst. Because, like, you yeah. have golf tournaments on the weekend. But not a lot of people, like, watch golf, really. Um, and then you just got MLB. So, we'll uh, we'll have to soak up these last two weeks of sports. Yeah, the the thing is with golf, like last thing before we wrap it up, like I I golf is like a lot of people throw it on, like you throw on the golf game. You're not like tuning in to the golf match, you know. And and the thing is with these other sports, someone scores or whatever, like you you cheer, like you get out of your seat, you're excited if you're rooting for something. Like, you're never like someone hits a shot in golf, you're never like cheering, you know. It's just like wow, like these guys are so good, like you just kind of yeah. say that over and over. <laughs> yeah, and the the yeah, unless it's a major too, like the guys aren't like you're not getting together with the guys or with the, like with friends and family to like throw on the game and watch it and cheer for your team. Like, yeah. I don't know, like nobody, no, like there's no parties of people like go, watching, like, I don't know who won this week, Milano Grillo win the Charles Schwab challenge. Like nobody's like, Oh my God, like we got to watch all 18 holes of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like not the easiest thing to, to watch. Yeah. So you're, you're right. But yeah, I mean, Lots to be excited about. Road to 100, winding down on it. So, yeah, you want to wrap it up? I guess we can Yeah, make it short and sweet here. But, yeah, we're real excited to hit 100. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep chugging. And hopefully we got something uh, good for you next week. 